Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley, and today we are discussing a film from 2005, James Cameron's War of the Worlds, Judgment Day. I think you're mixing up directors here. Nope, but I said, notice I said Judgment Day because it doesn't go past anything from James Cameron a la 1992. There are definitely Terminator units. There are definitely aliens. There's a definitely that abyss worm type thing. There's definitely a major boat crash. Yeah. It was especially sad when like the car drives by underwater and there's like people like frantically pound- <laughs> pounding on the windows inside. <sighs> it's awful. So you're saying basically War of the Worlds is Steven Spielberg's Terminator. I mean, I guess in a way. I'm sure that he didn't really have that in mind. Steven Spielberg talked about doing War of the Worlds, a movie that influenced him for most of his life, but he felt that people had cherry-picked the best elements of War of the Worlds for movies like Independence Day, so it kept stalling him until he reread the novel and was like, no, no one has really done the novel version as he saw it, obviously updated, you know, for, for modern day. So we are doing this movie as a companion piece to Steven Spielberg's Le Fablement. And overall, I think it's a pretty good choice for different reasons. Tell me why. Remember Dracula and Francis Ford Coppola and how he limited himself to filmmaking techniques available only to the people when they did uh, Dracula, the Bela Lugosi version in like 1930? This feels very much like Steven Spielberg used the largest sound stages at Universal kind of thing. And of course, famously, the plane crash was, I don't know if it was staged there or moved there, but for a long time in the early 2000s, or you know, it was used as part of the backlot tour for Universal. It was undoubtedly there when you worked there. I took you there. Yeah. I think we took our little golf cart tour through the War of the Worlds. Yeah. And almost died. But it's a uh, Bates Motel adjacent. <laughs> That's right. And Amity, like Jaws Bay adjacent. Yeah. Amity Island. In a way, the, the city collapsing scene where the, the concrete is splitting and there's water rushing all over the place. Didn't that feel like a universal ride? Like earthquake. Oh, man. Earthquake. That was so good. Yeah. 
and the subway opens up, even though we're supposed to be in L.A. Right. And then as you're exiting the earthquake tunnel, you like see it all resetting itself. Yeah. If you turn and around like, and look. Ooh, movie magic. Yeah. They should have done this ride, though. Like during the summer or whatever, you ride through and they shoot lasers at you and it blows your pants off. <laughs> the clothes from being non-organic just don't evaporate. All I know is there was lots of pants and then we were in the forest of the falling pants. Yep, the falling clothes. Yeah. There was the forest of the falling clothes. There was a river of the floating people. Yeah, I heard that two dummies got away from the prop department and just like went downstream <laughs> and they were like, oh, those are gone. So they notified the police, hey, if you get any bodies floating in the river calls, uh, that's that's us. <laughs> but I think this, uh, uh. But this, too much of this movie, I think, felt like obviously sound stages mm, when we mm-hmm. were doing the red bio worms or the, the roots or whatever and the multiple basement scenes for some reason. There's the Tim Robbins basement. Oh, there's the there's Tim's basement, and then there's Tim Robbins' basement. Yeah, the sleepover basement, and then the crazy person basement. Right. And that's where you go where things look normal, and it's a controlled setting. And in order to make it scary, and in order to save money, you just do like put strobe lights and different colored lights outside. They're like scary lights. Why was the second light show different? Because uh, that was not well. The first one was a plane crash, and the other one was the tripods and stuff settling on the town. But couldn't you see like a 1940s movie or like, let's get down in the cellar, like like Night of the Living Dead style. And they're like, whoa, crazy stuff's happening out there. But you're like, you don't see it. It's just flashing lights. Felt mm-hmm. like a cheat, yeah. man. Did it? I mean, yes. <laughs> what do they call those episodes in a series? Like the filler episodes? Can't you allow War of the Worlds to have a couple filler scenes? No. I mean, there's some big ass set pieces in this film. Are you talking like Breaking Bad, like the fly episode? Exactly. No, not okay. This whole thing kind of felt like a filler movie to me. So Steven Spielberg obviously is known, or he cut his teeth with real commercial success for Jaws, right? And uh, the famously, the shark didn't work. And so they spent most of the time inferring that the shark was there with the barrels and kind of vague shots of it underwater and things. And they're like, oh, that makes it scarier. Like, otherwise it would just be like a cheesy rubber creature feature. And Steven Spielberg really took that to heart. He prides himself on this idea still of what you don't see is actually scarier. And there's so Mm. many times we don't see anything. In particular, the argument with Robbie with all the, the Humvees on the hillside. You got to let me go. I need to see this for some reason. Stupid kids. Mm -hmm. So they've got them fighting and arguing next to the tanks, which are are firing, and the Humvees, which are rolling over the hill, but they never pan over the hill. It's just like bursts Mm -hmm. of purple light and stuff. It's incredibly Mm -hmm. frustrating. It's a cheat that I've noticed for pretty much his entire career when it comes to big scale movies like this. Well, in the scene with Robbie in particular, it's not about the war that's being waged. In fact, this whole movie is not about wars. According to Tim Robbins' character, this is just a straight and simple extermination. But it's supposed to be a really emotional scene between father and son, a father who's only just acquired his son, now pretty much immediately having to turn around and let him go. And that's what Spielberg is banking on for sure. Did it work for you? Because all I could see was like, I want to see the cool stuff. What is it that the kid feels he needs to see? I'm not saying that it was particularly impactful, but I could get that it's some kind of rite of passage or loss of innocence moment for a child where they need to, where a parent can't hide reality from them anymore and he needs to see with his own eyes. Robbie emo? The destruction. (laughs) I mean, he's definitely got the emo hair 
and the stereotypical teenage angst and tood. Doesn't he have little fingerless gloves? Does he? I think so. I think you have all kinds of, um, you know, cold weather options when you live in Boston. I guess so. Right? You got the fingerless gloves and then the li- and then you got like the leather gloves and then you've got like the work <laughs> gloves. <laughs> and then you've got like the... Oh, man. You know. The alien axing gloves. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, Robbie Baseball Cap, did you notice that to heighten the discord or the distance between he and his dad, Robbie was wearing a New York hat and Tom Cruise was wearing a Boston hat? No, uh, the way around. Was it? Yes, I did notice. (laughs) And that may not be a thing to us in California, but ask Matt Damon, that's a real thing. That's a real, oh, that's them's like fighting hats. (laughs) Fighting hats. (laughs) And maybe that's what we needed between Robbie and Ray was just like a good old fashioned like father-son fist fight no that's what they do on the east coast they just fight with a baseball right they like throw it at each other's crotches yeah and then they destroy property (laughs) he's trying to spend time with his son but you could tell that he has very little patience yeah because he is robbie he sees himself he was he was robbie hoodie way back in the day what's his name ray was ray 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 hoodie yeah definitely He's the crane operator or whatever who spends every cent of his money on a fast car, on a John Wick style car. And then drives it unnecessarily fast through the streets. Through the through the dockyards or whatever. My first problem with War of the Worlds, actually a lot of my problems center around Tom Cruise, who is, who is very athletic. He has a lot of very physically challenging performances in this film. I think that he's really showing all of the different stages of grief on his face and in his performance. But I just don't believe him as a dockyard worker. (laughs) Is it because of the car, which is probably Tom Cruise's car? I think it was all Tom Cruise, right? It was Tom Cruise's car and it was Tom Cruise operating the crane. You know he was operating that crane, like for realsies. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he trained at crane school for months for the authenticity. (laughs) And you know that he took that role very seriously, but he's an unconvincing longshoreman. And he's an unconvincing jerk. Oh, yeah? There wasn't a single Tom Cruise 100 million watt smile in this film. And that's Tom Cruise. He did a big smile up front. But I think that to illustrate him as the everyman, he didn't look movie star polished. I mean, he was. But there was a lot of like light sunlight in his face. And it was a lot of squinting and stuff. And like he's facing down his wife's new family and his kids that hate him or one of his kids that hates him. And he, he just he feels very small and hapless and not action hero-y or whatever. Because I think in this movie, I mean, he was capable and all that stuff, but he wasn't a trained physical kind of guy like the character wasn't. I'm pretty sure that, uh, what was his name? What was the stepdad's name? I'm pretty sure that he could have taken him out. This is a very safe looking car, Tim. Right? Tim, Tim and Ray. Turtleneck Tim. Who was like all a good dad, who was the one that he wanted to be. But he's just too roughneck Tom Cruise. You buy t- roughneck Tom Cruise? Yeah, didn't you see how he casually swore? Way more than is, is you <laughs> typical in a PG-13 movie. Casually swore. I remember this movie for some specific astounding sequences, like the bridge. When they take off in the minivan and the bridge uh, blows up. Really cool visual scenes. And then I was dreading what I remembered sucking really badly, which was the basement scenes. And Kelly Ray remembered that as well. She was very skeptical sitting down to this movie. She's like, the Tom Cruise one? And I was like, yeah, because I hadn't seen it in a while. Yeah, Brian said that he was only slightly more annoyed with watching it this time. 
<laughs> um, which is kind of a shame. I mean, I kind of remembered I, I there was something that was drawing me to this movie. Maybe it was the Tom Cruise-ness or the spectacle. Easy connection know. to Top Gun Maverick. Sure. Or more specifically to Top Gun. Oh, how so? Yeah, this was the reunion. Of Tom Cruise and... Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins was Merlin. He was originally Cougar's Rio until Cougar washed out. And then after Goose sadly died, spoiler, uh, Merlin was Maverick's Rio. Oh, right. And we talked about Tim Robbins being like 6'3 and barely fitting into the cockpit. Yeah, 6'4, whereas Tom Cruise, who's all of like 5'7, is actually optimally sized for an F-14 cockpit. Another major legendary movie reunion in this one as well, also involving Tim Robbins. Ah, I got it. You got it? (laughs) Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. Andy Dufresne. (laughs) Andy Dufresne. So the science aliens like should know better than to come to a planet with that's 80% or whatever of water. Yep. Another one of those movies. Shouldn't the War of the Worlds aliens know better than to come to a planet with germs? Yeah. And that's kind of part of the problem. Independence Day also went the virus route, albeit a digital virus. Well, you got to find, I mean, how else do men compete with the tripods? You wait until you wait until the birds charge in first. Right. And the birds, I imagine they were like circling the tripods because they knew that they were dying. Well, they were venting the blood diarrhea. Are birds carnivorous? I mean, the crows definitely were and are. Yeah, they eat worms and stuff. Yeah, they're like walking carrion. So they, they, the birds know this isn't the canary in the coal mine. This is the crow and the, the vulture in the air or something. See, we figured it out. But the, the aliens themselves were very, were vulnerable like us. Just very exposed, very vulnerable. Very soft. Poke them in the eye and they're done for. I mean, they had big old eyes that you could poke. Yeah, but they're, I mean, if they had confronted them in the basement... In that Jurassic Park raptor kitchen scene down in the basement, you know? So, oh my gosh, so raptor. That was so, this is way after Jurassic Park. Yeah, 12 years. But uh, the raptors had claws and teeth and a predatory, almost hyper-intelligent instinct. Whereas the aliens were like, bicycle tire and stuff. If they had jumped out, (laughs) would the aliens have had to retreat and get in their mech suits and kill people? Probably. I mean, the only actual sign of aggression that we got from them in their alien form was the last one who hissed. But that could have just been the death gas. Yeah, but cats hiss. Yeah, and cats have teeth and claws. What's your point? Yeah. All I'm saying is we never had a confrontation between the, the naked aliens and the humans, and the, the humans didn't do a single thing to beat the aliens. I guess they fired missiles at the compromised tripods. But in, in terms of overall defeat, they did nothing. We did nothing. You mean they, they tried. They, like crazy people, over and over again to, yeah. to bomb and nuke and missile the things. Yeah, we do what we can. But what else could they do? I don't know. You tell me, Steven Spielberg. You can put a grenade in the... In the nope style, like, butthole of the UAP and give it indigestion. Yeah, no, that thing didn't have eyes. The uh, the alien butthole tapeworm thing, you just kind of hand it to it and it would have sucked it up. <laughs> and how was, how did Tom Cruise get saved? They, ha- they hang on to him and they pull him down and it's too much for the tapeworm and he comes out all gloopy. Did the humans, like, fuel the tripod? Absolutely. I think they took they took what they needed and invented everything else. So basically they just like put a bunch of like bananas in a basket and then snacked on them as they walked exactly. along. Exactly. Like fanny packs. 
and you can see where Stranger Things might have gotten some inspiration for the red viney things. And connecting it to uh, the Fablemans, when they were flipping through the channels, that was the train crash from The Greatest Story Ever Told. Right. Yeah, and which just a, a few years later, uh, Steven Spielberg and J.J. Abrams teamed up for the train crash in uh, Super 8, which isn't really a right. spoiler because it happens very early. And they're also filming, aren't they? Don't they film the train crash yep. in Super 8? And they did the trick that he established here that is also a cheat that lots and lots of other filmmakers have done, where if the guy, even though there was a massive electromagnetic pulse and everything from the cars to Ray's watch stopped working, camcorder was working, and that way you can drop the camcorder on the ground and you can see crappy digitized effects. I don't know, maybe it was to mask gore or something. Gareth Edwards in Godzilla and his previous movie, which I think was called Monsters, they do this thing, and Steven Spielberg does it here, where they show big actiony things where like monsters destroy entire cities on a tv screen it's a super cheat it's cool i liked it i thought it was a really cool way to see the first not only to see but to record the first vaporization and then you get all the cool shots of the tripods and the reflections of the car windshields and the cars and the storefronts what are you robert zemeckis i thought those were really cool nice touches and maybe practical special effects like like atmosphere and, and smoke and stuff, they help to obscure like the lack of fidelity and resolution in the visual effects, but I think they're cool. I guess so. A curious thing happened in this movie because we definitely got up front uh, people being disintegrated and lots of pants flying all over the place for some reason. Remember when he ran through the zapped lady? Yeah, the one who like we see her face gets zapped. <laughs> right? And then he like emerges yep. through it. But I feel like every time they crested a ridge or whatever, and you're like, that's green screen. But this was a curious mix of, at the time, well, it's also kind of uh, Janusz Kaminski's cinematography where everything feels really washed out and there it's like blurry and there's like haze and filters and stuff. There was a bizarre combination, which is what made it feel like a, like a backlit or a backscreen universal ride, where the conjunction of... At the time, the best special effects, I mean, he was Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise with a considerable budget. They were going to make it look cool. Along with the physical effects, did it feel, does it feel more dated than anything, like aged? It seemed like there was such a distance between the visual effects and the practical effects because they had real weapons and real tanks and, and all this great stuff with, and like, okay, that's in the foreground, but in the background, that's all definitely CG. Did you get that feeling? Like there was a big dividing line between visual and practical effects. Yeah, it was almost like Cameron in the 80s in Aliens where they have would have a reverse projection, a rear projection screen on set. And mm. they would, you know, mm. in actors in the foreground, like the crash when they're trying to, you know, the, when the uh, Marines are trying to get off LV-426. This felt like that. Like you can tell that the ferry set was real you know, in a tank or whatever. And then they had the, the crazy alien thing in the background, but never the twain kind of shall meet. The thing tips and you're like, oh, the alien tipped it and we see it under the water for a little bit. But then it's just tipping boat and screaming people and cars. And there's never really an interaction per se. It felt dated in terms of effects. And I think it was because they had the budget and the resources and the Steven Spielbergs to be able to make practical effects in the foreground but juxtaposing it with the the special effects in the background the digital effects didn't work for me i was surprised by how dated this movie looked didn't really bother me but i think that you generally are more affected by the visual effects than i am <laughs> wouldn't you say yes 
Kelly asked me some inane question, and she turned to me for an answer, and I swear to God, she looked at me for 13 seconds while the bridge was exploding behind the minivan. And I was like, why are you looking at me? And she was like, I don't watch movies the way you do. Because I remember the bridge scene as being the best special effect in the movie. The bridge is pretty epic, and the minivan as an escape vehicle is pretty hilarious. And the shots of the minivan on the curiously open, like conveniently open highway. No way. There were cars all over the place, so they had to swerve on their little path through all the cars that nobody else could make it through. Um, yeah. But those shots in the minivan, I think, were the coolest of the whole film. There was a really great, really elaborate, strangely, unnecessarily Robert Zemeckis elaborate 360 pan in and out of the car and stuff. Yeah. For the Rachel in her in her fortress of solitude arm movement or whatever. Yeah. It was good. Lots of swearing. Great. Yeah, pretty good shot. It was awesome. I love those kinds of shots where you just like how do they do it? And you can tell there was a mix of practical and visual. You could tell that they they stitched some things together, but the acting, the performance seemed was captured seamlessly and the shot was really cool and made what could have been a very boring car conversation really tense and cool. You know what I think really helped? Dakota Fanning at the height of her powers. Never been better than in this movie. And she was stressing people out. A 10-year-old in a time of crisis is quite as is rather a lot of baggage. But I remember watching this movie when it came out and thinking, wow, Dakota Fanning looks old. Really? Wow. I mean, she had so many, so many teeth? notable roles. <laughs> she did have a full set of teeth. And I don't know how old she was, but she was playing 10. She had notable roles, so many notable roles before War of the Oh, Worlds. yeah. But I think arguably this is maybe her like most adult role, so to speak. I know that sounds silly to say. But she was very emotional and wasn't just cute and I think was great. I think she oh, acted no. circles around pretty much everybody. She really did. That said, her character, her character was voted one of the most useless things to have uh, in an apocalypse. Because <laughs> all she did was scream and draw attention away from the things that were important. Uh, is that a Razzie Award? It is. This Car- movie is, uh, category? is one of the few that was nominated, I think, equally for Oscars and Razzies. Wow. But I agree. Dakota Fanning is incredible. She's scared. She's emotional. She is annoying. <laughs> uh, she's She is cute. I mean, a lot of that has to do with her wardrobe. Oh, God. But man useless when she stands on the hill and the alien comes and gets her and tom cruise has to sacrifice himself it's like can you move (laughs) she's just standing there all bait like when the other mom and the family want to like take her away and make her their own like don't you punch the note the mom in the nose and be like i'm waiting for my dad uh yeah i don't know no she still has the she's young enough that she has the authority thing where she's she didn't go all like robbie national guard and like refuse her biological parent She's still on the family train or whatever. Which is good, but like when the other mom is trying to take her away, don't you like punch and kick and scream and like have to be dragged away? Not her. So why does Ray blindfold Rachel? Just to close the door? Just to go in the other room and close the door. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And it was for her benefit, but also for our benefit, like he, like closing the door was basically our blindfold where you hear, uh, uh. but you know, Tim Robbins was in the right that uh, Harlan Ogilvie had it right. I mean, if anybody knows that digging a tunnel is a, an effective means of escape, it's Tim Robbins <laughs> and Tom Cruise messed it up. 
Uh, he was willing to cl- to climb through how many miles of sewage? 500 yards. <laughs> the length of five football fields, just shy of half a mile. To get away from the aliens. He was willing to do but it. But in Harlan's mind, we had a whole network of, of tunnels, subway tunnels and things already built. Harlan was the resistance. One man resistance. Yep. In your mind, how does Ray dispose of Harlan? Um, I think he gets the axe away from him. Because he I didn't Harlan have an axe and didn't Ray go in there barehanded? Yeah. So he went all Tom Cruise on him or whatever and subdued him and then had to have killed him with the axe. That was the implication. Because if you put him in a rear naked chokehold and he goes unconscious and you say, Rachel, let's get out of here, the door doesn't need to be closed for that. Was it really necessary for him to kill Harlan? No. But Harlan was the crazy, and he was scaring Rachel. But at the same time, this is another. This is one of those movies where where the humans are the real monsters. Yep. And Steven Spielberg kind of tried to balance that because we know about Steven Spielberg and how he has to end to end his movies on human sentimental notes. And so he went to the screenwriter and said, "The best side of humanity comes out in a, a disaster." Or like a crisis. And the screenwriter was like, yeah, no. And on the strength of that, wrote the scene where they lose the minivan. When everybody's like swarming the van and, and the dude is like, I'm taking the van. I'm taking the van. Okay, get your kid out. And like there's that moment of grace. And the, as soon as they clear the frame he, he's and they go in the diner, he gets shot and they swarm yep, the van. With Tom Cruise's gun. Yeah, that's how we lose the gun. But definitely the humans were terrible. I mean, they band together for survival or whatever, but they were not, for the most part, nice to each other. Even the lady trying to save Rachel and make her her own probably would have made her some kind of resistance fighter with a dirty face. (laughs) And I I believe that those people survived. And if she had gone with them, too. I mean, it worked out that Ray got her back to her mom and stuff. But I bet those people knew Hushabye Mountain. Aww, that was so sad. I was like, Hushabye Mountain is the worst lullaby name I've ever heard. Who came up with that? And then apparently, not having seen it, it's from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It's a legitimate song. But I'm willing to bet that nobody in the production had to pay royalties for Little Deuce Coop because I think that Tom Cruise's rendition is unrecognizable. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, I, mean, I get it. It was, it was Magnolia-level emotionalism, but Wow. So we spent some time basically ragging on War of the Worlds. Did you finish Why Else This is a Good Companion to the Fablemans? Oh, just this is Steven Spielberg recreating. I think this is his first remake, but this was a formative movie for him, that experience. And this was him admiring a certain kind of movie and wanting to emulate it with the biggest star in the world. Him uh, probably at the time being the biggest director in the world. Everything was in place. Everything was right. Uh, They almost could do no wrong, Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise at this point. And then this was the beginning of the end. He he vowed never to work with Tom Cruise again because of he was all Scientologist on set and he got through the promotion and the premiere. But this was the one where Tom Cruise and Matt Lauer faced off about Scientology. And this was the one he was promoting when Spielberg couldn't make it to the Oprah show and he did the couch jumping thing over Katie Holmes. And Mission Impossible 3, in my opinion, one of the best Mission Impossibles kind of fell by the wayside as a result. It didn't get the box office it deserved. And this is really Steven Spielberg settling into his all-time slump, which continues to this day. It seemed like a good idea. All the best stuff was in place. The whole world was in their grasp. Literally, get it? War of the Worlds. But it all went south from here. And I can kind of see why. This movie was kind of an unpleasant experience. It was like the Batman. 
there were some cool scenes like the car chase scene or whatever in Batman. And I remember thinking, this is a good movie. And then I just never wanted to watch it again. And so you can see the bridge scene and you can see the fairy scene and stuff, but I'm never watching that basement scene, either of the basement scenes again. I'm retiring mm. War of the Worlds as a feature length motion picture. Wow. Just like recently you retired. What else? Uh, People Under the Stairs? Yes. <laughs> The, the only time those movies have been compared. <laughs> also with basement scenes. Yes, many, too many. Well, in terms of box office, still a success of a film. I don't know that, I think, I don't know that at the time the studios would have made this with any other talent than Spielberg and Tom Cruise. But um, I think Tom Cruise was actually miscast in this. <laughs> I don't think it plays to Tom Cruise's strengths. But he's definitely a movie star and is a very physical action star in general and in War of the Worlds. I um, was depressed, so I watched this movie and then turned around and watched the last 30 minutes of Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> and was like thoroughly entertained and exhilarated by Top Gun Maverick, which is, this, which is a far, far superior film. So if Tom Cruise was ever in a slump, he's definitely out of it. In fact, he's probably at his career high. And Spielberg, still arguably the most prominent director of our time. And your final rating is? I remember this movie fondly for very specific reasons, as I said, but watching it on the whole, I was underwhelmed and think that it was because it was cooler because I was younger. This movie is already, what, 17, eight, almost 18 years old? And so... I think I'm going to give it a below the line in the face of Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg, because if they didn't have those two and this movie was anonymously like some random star and an anonymous director, I don't think I would have fallen for it uh, in 2023. Official whatever rating. Whatever for the war for War of the Worlds. I'm surprised. I, I was also surprised by Brian's discontent with this film. This is right up his alley, like sci-fi, big action spectacle, you know, that isn't necessarily heavy on character development or story. Not that Brian isn't into those things, but he is very forgiving of a sci-fi action spectacle. I thought it was fine. I'd give it a I'd give it a good. So the bottom of my page for War of the Worlds is a Kelly Ray quote where she said after the movie, she was like, man, I could have sworn there was a scene where they figured out that they were susceptible to germs. So they fed them the aliens. They fed them a sick person. Did that not happen? That was my favorite. <laughs> fed them a sick person. Yeah. And infected them. Maybe would have been a more fun movie. Uh, nope, it was just the water that they drank that they shouldn't have drunk, even though they were plotting their extermination of humans and their takeover of planet Earth for millions of years. And that's our discussion on War of the Worlds, available on Paramount+. Plus. If you enjoyed this review or if you want to check out other reviews, check out orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts for 200 plus more uh, reviews and discussions on new and your favorite feature films 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com are is how you get in touch with us patreon is how you support us at or whatever movies is how you follow us on social media thanks for listening and we'll see you next time electric acid welcome to tuning into sound well-being where we harmonize your mind body and soul I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Electric Acid.